Well, happy Mother's Day. We're glad that you're here with us. And uh, just want you to know, if you need one of those church signs, we've got the new and improved sturdy bracket signs that will not break. This, Tim, what, what are you doing here? It's, uh, it's my time now, man. I, uh, I uh, saw that Luke, Luke said it was Mother's Day. And Mother's so Day. I kind of forgot, so I kind of wanted to knock some thank you notes to my mom out first. And I didn't want to miss the message. So is that your desk? You I brought your desk out here. I thought it was the best possible solution. Okay, so, how long is this going to take? One, one card. J- just one. It, uh, yeah, just. Okay. Can, uh, can you I, do I, it fast? Yeah, I, I can do it fast. I just, I might need some. Because I only have so much time. I, I might need some music to. I saw Forrest. Forrest, oh, come perfect. out here. Forrest could do music. Skipping on out. All right. Call you Skippy. And try to do this quick, because. Okay, absolutely. You know, I'm talking. Uh, Forrest, what do you got? Oh, that's beautiful. That should be that's fine. Beautiful. Okay. One. Here we go. <clears throat> Thank you, Mom, for having essential oils to cure just about everything. It replaced chicken noodle and yeah, soup. I, I got a headache. I, use the lavender. I don't think that's one. so great. Can I you can you get a better one than that? I mean, if you're gonna, this is for your mom. Okay. Okay. For my mom. Here we go. Thank you, Mom, for all our wonderful conversations, especially the ones explaining how to upload a photo to the face page thing. Facebook. Yeah, I don't think that, that it's like you're making fun of your mom. Let's, no. let's try it. I think you ought to go another route. Okay, right, I'm going to, okay. You this started is, good. This is, a seri- right. this is a serious one. Here we go. Thank you, Mom, for potty training me. It has proven to be a valuable life skill. Okay. I, and I agree with you on the valuable life skill, but that's, I, that's, I think you ought to go another direction here. Okay. Let's move this along. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Let's, let's, okay. Here we go. <clears throat> Thank you, mom, for showing me love that's never ending. Just like your voicemails. Fine. <laughs> no. You started good, it, it went south. Let, one, let's, let's try again. Oh my goodness, let's okay. Let's move it along. One of these is gonna be it, okay. Thank you, Mom, for not leaving me every time I hid from you at the store. You know, like you hide in the clothes rack and jump out, ah! And then yeah, and, and even you. I'm surprised she didn't leave you at the store. <laughs> Almost did. Yeah, okay, <laughs> I can see why. A good trip to Kmart. I think he could do better. Okay. I got it. Here we go. Thank you for being a rock star mom and always being there whenever I need you. Aw. Signed your favorite son. P.S. That's good. My birthday is coming soon. Send money. Yeah. Gas is not cheap. Yeah, I know, but uh, I think if you started great, if you just left off that last part, I think it would have been good. So okay. maybe this isn't going to work. The, the, this one, this one's, this one's coming from the heart. Okay. This one's coming from the heart. This is the last one. Last one. Last okay, one. last one. Okay. Thank you, Mom, for carrying me nine months physically and 28 years financially. How true that is. Yeah, okay, all right. From the heart. Thanks, Forrest. Yeah, thanks, Tim. Yeah, okay. Well, hey, we, we got a, an exciting week, and we appreciate Tim bearing his heart and soul in front of us there. If he had a heart and soul, it would be a little more interesting. But uh, 
Busy week here. Of course, we have our Wednesday night stuff happening. Thursday night, women's ministry, they're sponsoring Endless Hope. So if you're a lady, you might want to check that out in the bulletin. Friday and Saturday night, uh, our own Troy Kuick has is doing a drama. Uh, that's 7 o'clock on Friday, 5 o'clock on Saturday. That's a ticketed event, just a nominal fee. They're just $5. You can get your tickets out at the information center. Troy will be there, tall guy, white shirt. You can't miss him. And some of you remember uh, him doing something like this before. He, he does a great job, and, and I think you might enjoy that. And then, of course, that brings us to Sunday. Come back next week. We have Baptism Sunday, and we're really looking forward to that. We have been in a series, Parables, and parables are just simple stories that Jesus used to convey profound truth. And as I look at Christ's ministry, he, he was doing this so that people could connect and relate, and he's trying to teach them about God. And, and when we look at the situation today, I think 90, uh, polls show that 90% of people in America believe in the existence of God. That's really not the problem, although we talk about that sometimes. The main issue is their connection with God. And what I want you to know that Jesus, he told a story so that, that you would hear it and know no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter how you've sinned, no matter what's been done to you, he is telling us how we can be reconnected to God. And, and he's trying to show us how we can find our way back to Him. And when we think about Mother's Day, um, mothers, it's kind of a, a tough job. And I think one of the hardest things that can happen to a mom and maybe has happened to some mothers here is rejected love from their child. When they get estranged from a child and things get sideways. I think it's one, uh, you know, it's hard for dads too, but I think that's especially hard for moms. And as a matter of fact, Jesus told a story a lot like that to help us um, understand how we can connect with God. And now this story, it's called the prodigal son. How many have heard that called that the prodigal son? But really that's not a great name for this story. Because the story is actually about two sons, and if you don't understand that, you're going to miss the whole point of what Jesus is teaching. So I want you to, to turn there to Luke chapter 15, and um, we're going to start with verses 1 and 2 just to set the context, and then we're going to skip down a few verses to wh where he tells this story. We ready? So we're going to read from Matt, you know, Luke chapter 15. Are you ready? Yes. All right. Chap chapter 15, verse 1. Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And as we've looked at other parables, we see this context a lot. Jesus is connecting with a lot of the common people, some of which don't have great reputations, 
And as he does that, he's being criticized for the religious crowd by them, you know, about what he's doing. Now, we're going to skip down to this particular story that we wanted to talk about today, beginning in verse 11. And he said, it's talking about Jesus, and he said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them, And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country, and there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now, when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I'm dying here with hunger? I will get up and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. In this story, Jesus redefines three truths to help us reconnect with God. First of all, Jesus redefines God, and he redefines God as Father. That's normal for us to maybe think of God in those terms, but in the first century, that was brand new. Jesus is redefining who God is. And when we think about the Father in the story, about what's, what's happening here, we see that he divided uh, his estate. Now, what happened in the first century that when fathers died they would typically divide their inheritance among the sons in the family. And typically their their daughters would marry other sons, and so that's kind of how that went. But the eldest son got a double portion, and then he sort of carried the name. uh, He was still the head of the family, the eldest son. But for a son to ask his father for the estate now, while the father was still living, was incredibly insensitive. It was a huge insult. It was the same thing as saying, hey, I wish you would die, but you won't die. You keep lingering here, and I want my stuff now. And of course, the normal way and the way Jesus' audience would think was that that the normal way for that father to respond would be to drive the son out with nothing and write him out of his inheritance. I mean, just get him out of there. Just make him leave. Hit the road. But the father in the story 
doesn't do that. The father endures the insults from his son and actually does what the son requests. Although this came at great heartache for the father because at this time, the most important inheritance they had would have been the land. And in order to give this son one-third of the estate, because the elder son got twice as whatever portion, there's only two of them, then he would have had to probably sell off some of the land that had been in the family for generations and liquidate whatever assets he could to give them to the younger son. The younger son takes them and then hits, predictably kind of hits the road and he lives the high life, right? He takes off. And as we might expect, he ends up spending all of his money and he has nothing left. And it's kind of interesting because as the son does this to the father, as he rejects the father's love, just wants his stuff just to get out of there, we would ex- when people typically love somebody and it's rejected, a lot of times in our day and age, we respond with anger. Just like everybody expected this father in the story to do, that he would fight back, he would kick him out, he would deny him his inheritance and write him out of the will that that would be done. But this father doesn't do that, he endures. And then, as the son runs out of money and realizes he has nothing and his situation gets kind of desperate, he can't beg for enough money to eat, he works feeding the pigs, which for Jewish people, that's about the lowest thing that they could do because they weren't supposed to be doing that. And, and in the meantime, he realizes the pigs are eating better than I am. So he comes to his senses and he comes home. Now, the father, we have this picture of, so he accommodates his son. His son rebels. The father endures it. And then it's probably been months in the story, the way people are thinking through this that Jesus tells, that and, and you can just picture how a father would be, that, that his son's left, his heart's broken, and so for months he's waiting for, hoping that his son would return. And maybe morning and evening he scans the horizon, and then one evening, one day, he sees a lone figure on the horizon coming down the road, and, and there's something familiar about his posture and maybe the way he walks. And the father realizes It's his son, and he runs and embraces him. And as the the son tries to deliver his prepared speech of repentance to the father, the father interrupts him and lavishes love upon him. And the son's in rags, and he's filthy. And before he can get cleaned up, the father calls for the best robe. By the way, whose robe would that be? The father's robe. And he covers his son with his robe. And he calls out for a ring to be put on his hand as a symbol of his son's place and authority in the family and sandals for his feet. And before the son could even get the whole speech out, the father then yells for his servants to prepare a, a, a fattened calf for a huge celebration. And back then, in the first century, common people didn't eat meat that much. And they didn't have refrigeration. And so when you slaughtered the calf, that wasn't just for the family to celebrate. That's a village-wide. That's a community-wide celebration. And they, they start this party, a celebration of life. That's the picture of the father. But 
Some people today, even, although it's common, they still have problems seeing God as Father. And a lot of times, that'll be because of the Father that they grew up with. And because of that, some people, when they, when they hear God is like a Father, and that's the most common way God is described in Scripture in the New Testament, and anyway, and as that happens, then, you know, they see God as, oh, God is strict and harsh and domineering. Or some people on the other side of that who had just kind of disinterested fathers would say, oh, so, so God is weak and non-decisive. And Jesus is saying, no, God the Father is not like any of those fathers. And Jesus puts together these traits of tenderness and power. That this is how God is. He loves, but He's mighty. And that's how He describes God. So Jesus not only redefines God, Jesus also in this story redefines sin. Which is interesting because when we see the sin of the younger brother, well, it's pretty obvious, right? I mean, the younger brother wants out of there. He insults his father. He shucks all the family responsibilities, which was a big deal in a traditional society in the first century. And, he leaves, and then he takes all of his money, goes as far away as he can, so there's the, little, most, the least amount of accountability, and then he spends his money on alcohol and prostitutes and partying with his friends. Of course, predictably, when his money runs out, his friends are gone, right? And then economic hard times hit that country. He's impoverished. He's in trouble. He's living on the edge. And he realizes he may not survive. And he finally comes to his senses and he decides to return to his dad. And just he's given up his right to be a son, but just to, to be a hired hand. And along with that could come the idea that he could work his way to repay the father for some of what he's taken. And really, we have people that, that have reacted that way to God today, right? A lot of people know about God. They grow up hearing about God, but they reject life with God and, and sort of go out and try to find something more satisfying than God. And they never succeed. They, they think they will, but they don't. And people try to then make sense of life without God in their life and and they lose themselves along the way because they start pursuing things that are ultimately destructive. But I just want to tell you, if that's you, it's never too late before you die to turn back to God. And He'll welcome you. But the danger for you is that you will never turn back. That you'll get so caught up in the life that you've made for yourself, chasing the wind that you will end up dying before you ever come back to God. And then what will happen, Scripture says, is that you'll be forever alienated for God, and in your death you'll receive exactly what you were pursuing for your entire life, and that is to keep God away. He will grant you your request. So it's a familiar story, right? The younger son, I mean, he gets all his money together, he goes to Vegas, he lives high, and then he loses everything, and he's destitute. We all get it. But then in the story, Jesus turns the tables. He has a shift. It's like act two. And something 
even less expected comes next. And I want to pick that up where we left off in verse 25. Now, his older son, the father's old. Now, his older son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not willing to go in, and his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to the father, Look, for so many years I've been serving you, I have never neglected a command of yours, and yet you've never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who's devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? And he said to him, Son, you have always been with me, and all that's mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice. For this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. And so here's the twist of the story, because we have two sons, and we have a good son and a bad son. And the bad son goes and does the bad things, and then he repents of that, and we all get that. But then Jesus says, whoa, stop, and let's take a closer look at the good son, because actually they're both alienated from the father. What's the elder brother do here? Well, as the father prepares and throws a party for his youngest son, it's a community-wide celebration. The older son humiliates the father. I mean, this is a, a... a community-wide celebration of family, and the older brother doesn't come in. to the, He boycotts the celebration. So humiliatingly, the father has to leave the party, go out and talk to his angry son. Humiliating, publicly. And then the son doesn't address his father properly, like all sons did in the first century, he says, look you, I've been here slaving for you all these years. And he insults the father. But the father doesn't react in anger. Again, he he endures that rejected love and he explains to the older brother, well, we had to celebrate. We had to do this. Now, what's happening here is both brothers are alienated from the father. Each brother was using the father to get what he wanted. The younger brother wanted his stuff now, but the older brother, he's serving the father, so he'll get the stuff later. And each wanted the father's stuff more than the father. That's the point. And to really get the key of what's happening here was that context that I mentioned at the beginning. Let's go back to that. Remember verse 1 and 2 before he started telling these series of parables that are all very similar but ends with the sons. He says, now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble saying, this man receives sinners and he eats with them. Same thing. What's going on there? In the story, the the people who are hearing Jesus talk are starting to figure out that one of these sons describes them. 
And the most obvious is the tax collectors and the sinners they get that everybody hearing thinks they're the younger son, and they are. Because the tax collectors, they're the ones who have rebelled against Israel. They're working for the enemy. They're oppressive to people. They're doing everything wrong. They're hated by, by their fellow countrymen. Hated. And then sinners, just people who live on the other side of the law. And so we all see, yeah, they just went off to do their own thing or, or chase their money at the expense of everybody else, the younger brother. But Jesus is telling us the Pharisees and the scribes, they're also there. And when the story takes a turn, the spotlight then shifts on them, the good brother, that even the good brother is alienated from God. That describes the older brother, the moral and the religious type people, and who even though they do good, They often do it with wrong motives. It was right to stay and obey, but he didn't want a relationship with the father. He just did that to gain control of his father's stuff. And really here, Jesus is describing two ways people try that they two ways people try to find happiness and success and to try to to find this feeling that they feel like they're right. And basically, the two ways that happened is, number one, through moral conformity. That's where people basically think, oh, if I want to be happy and successful and I want to feel right, then I follow all the rules. And they're a lot of times religious people, not all the time, but I'm going to work hard. I'm going to submit to, to authority. I'm going to follow the rules. And that's how I'm going to be happy and successful. But then you have the younger brother types that they, do, they chase that through self-discovery, I mean, they're the type of people that I'm going to go find my true self. I'm going to seek my own expression of my own identity. I'm going to have freedom. I'm going to, I'm going to have freedom to be happy and not follow rules. And by doing that, I'll make the world better. And then you have both types of people thinking the way they live will make the world better. But Jesus says, you're both wrong. Older brother types, they think, well, if you're good, you're in with God. If you're bad, you're out with God. That's older brother types. Younger brother types, you know, they look at that a little differently. They're they're saying, hey, I'm going to find my true self. And they say, hey, if you're open-minded and you're honest and you're progressive, that's the way you should live. That's the way God wants you to be. That's the way to make the world better. And the open-minded and progressive people are in, and the bigoted and judgmental people that are carrying all these standards, they're out. And Jesus says, you're both wrong. And Jesus redefines this whole sin issue. He says, basically, if you want to divide people into two groups, Jesus says, the humble are in and the proud are out. And the proud are anybody who comes up with their own divisions of how the world is and two types of people. And if they think they're on the right side of that, if you're thinking you're on the right side of how you should live, that, that you could earn God's forgiveness or something, you're out. And it's only the person who knows I'm not good and I'm not open-minded, you're the per- and I need grace, 
You're the person that's in. You're the humble. That's what God's saying. Because all types of people basically try to control God to get what they want. Younger brother types, they believe in the existence of God usually, and they want the good things that they believe God has for them, but they do not want God in their life. So they chase the good things, but they want to gain that so they can have the freedom to get away from the Father. And the older types, they follow the rules and they're generally moral and sometimes often religious. And because of that, they think, well, I'm following all the rules, so God should bless me. But again, you're... you're if that's your attitude, then you're only doing that to get the Father's stuff. And sometimes people can be very religious in order to avoid God. Like, oh, I've got that department. Okay, I don't have to have a relationship with God. I'm good. I follow all the rules. I do everything right. Older types try to get God's good things by obeying, but both want the Father's stuff without a close relationship. Neither obey out of love. Neither one. Religious people obey God to get things. Gospel people obey God to be closer to Him and share life with Him. And be intimate with him, close with him. That's weird because younger brothers think, well, the problem with the world, it's religion and structure. And older brother types think, well, the problem with the world is the rule breakers. You got to keep the rules. And if I'm the one keeping the rules, then I should be rewarded for that. And they both miss. Jesus redefines God as Father. He redefines what sin is. And then third, Jesus redefines salvation. And part of the way Jesus redefines salvation is, is celebration. That's what Jesus is talking about in his story. I know every time I read this story, I'm um, the oldest of three sons. And any time I read this story that Jesus told... I always think I wasn't the brother that I should have been. As the oldest son, I wasn't the brother. I always feel bad about that. I have regrets about the type of brother that I was. And a lot of that was when I was a believer. I was a believer, but I was so wrapped up into my own life and what I was doing and accomplishing I didn't really, I, I wasn't as wrapped up into my God, my Father, to know how to reach out and meet the needs of my younger brothers. And I've always regretted that. And maybe you have regrets like that in life too. We just can't rewind and do it over. What's done's done. I could just be the best brother that I can be now as an adult. That's not the same. And then I think, what should I have done? And really, it's the same in the story. 
What should have the older brother done? Well, see, in this story, the older brother had the chance to know that his father was broken out of the younger son being gone. His little brother was away and probably in trouble. I mean, anybody could see that coming. And the older brother, who basically now owned everything that was left, it's just a matter of time, he could have got up, taken some money, and gone on a journey to find, seek out his younger brother and bring him home and reunite him with the family, especially with the father. But he didn't do that. I think his attitude was just good riddance. This just makes things less complicated for me. And then I think about who the real, true brother is. And the true brother is the person telling the story, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ left his Father, came to earth, clothed himself in humanity to be our brother by doing that, and then voluntarily risked everything. He He allowed himself to be tortured to death. He gave his life to make a way to reconcile us, us rebels, us sinners, back to the Father, the holy and righteous Father. And he, by his death, by coming here and allow himself to be tortured to death and bleed out on the cross, he made a way that we can be reconciled to God, a holy God, without God having to give up His righteousness because God's perfectly righteous and sin has to be paid for. It has to be dealt with. It has to be punished. Jesus Christ took our punishment for sin on Himself to make a way for us to be reconciled forever. And God offers us relationship. And our true older brother has come to rescue us from our alienation from the Father. And we're desperate, whether we realize it or not. And that's the most important decision that we could ever make. To realize that as we live our lives for ourselves and we chase the wind of what we think we want and what we think will bring satisfaction. God is waiting the whole time, and it's only He who can bring us true satisfaction and true life. Most important decision that you could ever make. So maybe you're here and you're the older brother type. Or maybe you're here and you're the younger brother type. Or maybe you're sitting here going, I think I've been both of those in my life. Or maybe you're sitting here and like, none of that's clicking. I don't think I fell in either category. It doesn't matter who you are. But by the way, if you're ever thinking that I'm here and maybe I've done so many things, been so many places, had so much stuff done to me even, that there's no way I can have another chance to reconnect with God. If you're thinking that, You're the exact person that Jesus told this parable for. That no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, God loves you and He has paid the price to reconcile you back to Him. But we have to respond to the Father's love. 
And that's the most important decision that you will ever make. And it's really as easy as ABC. A, accept that we have rebelled against the Father and done wrong. B, believe the God-man Jesus Christ came, clothed Himself in hum humanity, and voluntarily gave up His life, the only one without sin, paid the price for all of our sins. And see, come to our senses and realize that true satisfaction and true life is only available with God as our Father and in relationship with Him and come to our senses and enjoy that relationship and celebration and joy forever. And that's so important. I want to give you an opportunity to do that even today before we close our service. And so right now, I'd like everyone to bow their heads. And, and what I want to do is just let you know that it's through faith or it's through you trusting in Christ's sacrifice and nothing else that allows you to become a Christian. And, and if you want to do that sincerely, then, then you're going to want to have a relationship with the Father. And if you have that kind of faith today, if you're thinking, yes, this is right, I want to respond to my Father's love, then I just want to lead you in a prayer that just articulates that faith to God. And, and I want to do that in a way that hopefully you'll, you'll remember this. And I don't want to embarrass you. I know some people are very private. I'm a, I'm a little bit that way. So I'm going to lead you in this prayer, and, and you can make this your prayer and sort of put it in your words, and you don't even have to do it verbally because God knows your every thought, and He's going to hear you even if you think this prayer to Him. So if you're not sure you have a relationship with a father that's through faith alone and not messed up with you think you deserve it somehow, then you're ready to trust, and you can express that in this way. As our heads are bowed, something like this. Father in heaven, I admit that I have sinned against you, and sometimes without even realizing it, but either way, I've rebelled against you, I've sinned against you, I've wanted to live my own life my way, and, and, and we all do that in different ways. But Father, I also understand that you, I also understand that you endure my rebellion, and you love me anyway, and you know me better than anyone. You know everything in my heart, every motivation, and you still love me. And I understand that you sent your one and only Son to die on a cross to pay the right penalty for my sins, my personal sins. And God, I'm putting my faith, my trust in Jesus and Jesus alone, that that's the only way that I can be made right with you, that I can't earn it. And Father, right now, I commit to you. I, I want to follow you, and I need your help. I, I invite you into my life to help me live in a way that's honoring to you. And I want to do that with joy, and I want to celebrate life with you forever. In Christ's name.
I'd like to keep our heads bowed for just a moment, and I want to ask you a question, and I'm going to, if the answer is yes, I want you to raise your hand, but I want, you, I want to explain why I'm doing that. I'm going to ask if you have prayed that prayer sincerely, and as far as you know, if this was the first time that you've ever done that. And the reason I'm asking is I, I want it to solidify in your heart that you've done this. And then that also gives me an opportunity to pray for you. I'm not going to call you down here. I'm not going to ask you to do anything. I'm just, while everyone's head's bowed, so you have some level of privacy, just want to have you, did you pray that prayer sincerely? And as far as you know, for the first time, I want you to raise your hand. I want you to kind of look up and see me, then put your hand down. Just let me kind of see you. So right now, just raise it up, make eye contact with me, then put it right down. That's all I want. I see you right there. Thanks. Thank you. Raise it up. I see you back there. Thanks. And back there. Thank you. Put it up. I see you back there. Thanks. And right back down. So let me spot you. Just slip it up. And then put it right back down. Okay, let's stand together as we close in prayer. And if you raised your hand, or, or maybe you know you should have, but you didn't, uh, we do have some materials for you. Uh, they're in room one, which is that corner of our auditorium. You can slip in there. If you have time to talk, you can ask any questions that you might have. But if you don't have time to talk, just say, hey, Kevin said there are some materials. We have a little cloth sack of a few uh, books, light reading, that will help you understand exactly what happened in your life today. So let's pray together. Father, we, we thank you for your love for us, even though it's undeserved. And because of that, we have joy in our relationship with you. Even though we're not perfect, even though we still mess up, we know those sins are paid for and we can celebrate life with you. Help us to follow you. Help us to experience your joy, your celebration. And God, we thank you for loving us no matter what and inviting us in no matter what and in welcoming us home no matter what. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.